My name is Jeff, and uh, a lot of you haven't uh, probably had the chance to meet yet, uh, but uh, my family and I have been uh, coming here since last July, and uh, um, I now have the privilege just part-time to work uh, with uh, Connections, and so if you're new here and looking for a way to get plugged in or uh, just get connected to the church, I'd love to help you with that. Uh, and uh, so today, uh, Pastor Kurt's been on vacation this week. He's hanging around here somewhere. Um, he'll probably come here and spy on me in a minute, but uh, anyway, uh, but uh, and just so you know, uh, let's get some things straight as we get started. Uh, one is uh, obviously I don't have a really cool beard like he does. Um, I don't have like a, a lot of great like uh, props and things like he does. Uh, I'm just an old guy. Obviously, I can't even stand through a message because I'm sitting down. Uh, but uh, uh, here's what I want you to know. Um, I love to eat, all right? And so we're going to get done, all right? So, I mean, some of y'all got more excited about that than you did in worship, but uh, God, God will get you for that. But anyway, hey, so uh, we are thrilled to be here. Uh, my family uh, um, comes obviously with me. They came to the first service. Uh, we have uh, six kids that we've raised. Um, we have four that we still pay for. Uh, thank God two of them are paying their own bills. That's, that's how you know life is good when they start paying their own bills. But anyway, uh, and uh, we have two of them that are actually uh, come to worship with us here. Uh, my wife and I, we have been uh, married for almost 28 years. I know you're thinking you don't look old enough to be married that long, uh, but uh, uh, God knows I am, all right? So anyway, uh, and uh, we um, are, are uh, my, part, my part-time job is here. Uh, my full-time job uh, is uh, I work for the Hospice of Baton Rouge uh, and a great organization. Love to tell you more about that, but we're not gonna do that right now. But uh, um, some of you, uh, you know, this church is a, a lot of younger people here, and I've seen some of you uh, that uh, I've met that, you know, you're newlywed and uh, you're uh, in your first year of marriage uh, and you know you have that twinkle in your eye uh, like you know everything is great and you still think the other person that you married uh, that they're awesome and that they're great uh, and, and by the way they're not uh, but uh, you'll find that out but uh, uh, we, we, my wife and I didn't have that same experience now when we our first year of marriage uh, we were just praying to Jesus that somehow we would make it to year two that's all we wanted to do all right uh, and so uh, there was a, a transition just a, a lot of things just uh, uh, with everything most of it was the fact for the first time in our life we, neither one of us had any money. We were just like uh, flat uh, broke. And so there's lots of things with that. Uh, that It was just a transition. So I remember I was thinking about uh, this series. And so uh, I, I remember when uh, one of the um, first things that uh, uh, we dealt with uh, is the difference between us. That I, I'm a person that just likes to go, go, go uh, until I pass out, right? Uh, and uh, Wendy is one of those kind of people uh, that she plans her next nap uh, like two or three weeks in advance, right? Everything is about a nap, right? Some of y'all looking at me, you wish I'd hurry up, shut up so you can go take your nap. But anyway, uh, so uh, that's the way she is. And so uh, when we, we didn't have a lot of money. And so I was in school. Uh, I was working a couple of jobs. She was working full-time. Uh, we're just getting by, right? So her weekends were about her being able to take a nap or six uh, and uh, relax and just have a good time. And so um, I grew up uh, playing tennis. And so I, me and a friend of mine played in this doubles tournament. Uh, and, I, and, and so we won the tournament in Mobile uh, and we got to go to Atlanta. So I talked her into going to Atlanta with me for the weekend, all right? She didn't want to do it. I mean, she ain't interested in watching me play tennis. I mean, she, she played all that game while we, were, while we were dating. But when we got married, she no longer cared about any of the things I did. Uh, but anyway, so uh, we, uh, I talked her into going with me. I said, look, I said, we'll probably lose really fast. Uh, and then we'll have the whole weekend in Atlanta 
to hang out, you know, whatever. So anyway, so we get in the car. It's me and her uh, and the guy that I play doubles with and his brother went with us. And so we drive up to Atlanta. And we get to the hotel uh, and we realize when we got there, they only gave us one room, all right? So, uh, so now, uh, now she's on a trip she don't want to be on. Uh, and uh, so it's me and her and two guys that she doesn't really know all in one room. And she's like, uh-uh, we're not doing that. So now we had to pay money for a hotel room uh, that we did not have uh, on a trip that she did not want to go on. So you can see the weekend's getting off to a really good start. So uh, the next morning, uh, we won the first match, uh, and then we just kept winning throughout the day. And the more we won, the madder she got, all right? Now, she wasn't saying she, wasn't saying she was mad, but you know, guys, you know that, that feeling you get that uh, you know they're mad, even though they're acting like uh, they're, they're saying the right words, but you know by the look in their eye, uh, things are not good. And so we just kept winning all day. And so you can imagine, uh, we didn't lose at all on Saturday. So Saturday night was horrible. I mean, it was absolutely uh, miserable. Uh, she had instituted uh, the COVID six-foot rule uh, uh, before, long before COVID ever existed, all right? Uh, I mean, there was, there was, uh, it, was, it was a long night, all right? So anyway, so the next morning, uh, we still, we just kept winning. And the more we won, the madder she got. And so uh, by the afternoon, we were playing in the finals. And so she is really ticked now because, I mean, uh, now we're going to get back to Mobile uh, uh, late at night. She's going to have to get up uh, in the morning and go to work. And she's just, she is just done with me, all right? And so uh, the, in the, the finals, we won the first set and we lost the second set. And then in between the two, if uh, you uh, split sets, uh, you take a break for about 15 minutes, you know, uh, get out of the heat, you know, whatever. Uh, and so uh, the third set starts. And in the first game, there's this real, uh, like, long point, and we won the point. And all of a sudden, I hear this female voice uh, up in the stands uh, that's cheering. All right, and I'm thinking, well, I, I know who it's not, uh, but uh, I don't know who that is up there. And I look, and there's uh, Wendy. Uh, my, my wife's name's Wendy too, right? Not Kurt's Wendy. Anyway, uh, my wife named Wendy. Uh, that she was up in the stand and she is just cheering. I'm thinking, well, what does she do? Go to the bar in between the second and third set? I mean, uh, how in the world is she acting like that? And as the set went on, it was real close. And she's just, I mean, she's just cheering and she's all excited. And we ended up winning. And so uh, when the, 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 the final point was over, she comes running out of the stands. And I mean, seriously, uh, not within six feet all weekend long, all right? Uh, Dr. Faust, you would have been proud of her. But, uh, but until that moment, I mean, she comes and she just wraps her arms around me. And all she is saying uh, just at the top of her lungs is, we're going to Los Angeles. We're going to Los Angeles. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She said, that guy up in the pro shop, uh, he said, I was talking to him in between the second and third set. And he told me that if you won, that you and somebody else, which is me, that we get a free trip to Los Angeles and you won, so we're going to Los Angeles. And so, I mean, she is just losing her mind with excitement. Now, think about this. She still was going to get home late, right? She still had had not one nap all weekend long. She still was going to be extremely tired the next morning, but all of a sudden, the entire circumstances were different, not because the circumstances has changed, but she realized, look at this, that there was something in it for her, right? And it changed everything. And what I want you to see, and I would say that this is uh, the, one of the main points of this series uh, that Pastor Kurt has uh, led us uh, to walk through, this idea of mountains and mercy, is that what you need to see is what's in it for you. The idea of mercy is something that's so powerful and so amazing that God's provided for us. It doesn't change our circumstances, right? Sometimes life is still jacked up. 
Sometimes things still don't go the way sometimes uh, uh, that we want them to go. Sometimes we still blow it and we mess up and we fall and things fall apart. But no matter what's happening in life, the reality is, is that there is something in this for us that is far greater than anything this world has to offer. So we're looking at these different mountaintops experiences and seeing the mercy of God through them. Uh, Pastor Kurt started last week um, and talked about the cost of mercy. And, and the one thing I've thought about all week long that he said, and I, I love this, I've never really thought of it this way, it says that the mercy that God gives us, that he doesn't give, us, uh, give it to us in spite of us, but he gives it because of us. Now, now think about that for just a moment because uh, the idea of in spite of us, uh, the, the, the thing that came to my mind, and, and he re referred to this uh, last week, uh, was the idea, the mindset of when you have to give a gift to someone out of obligation, right? You ever done that? Like, man, I don't really want to give this, but I know I have to give it. And so you begrudgingly do that. And sometimes I think that we believe that God extends mercy to us that way. Well, he's God and he's good and so he has to do good things and so I know that, uh, uh, that Jeff doesn't deserve it and I know that I'm really not sure I want to do it but I'm obligated to give him mercy. That's not the way that God views it. That what God does for you, what God does for all of us in extending his mercy is because we have value to him. You have value to God because of who you are. You are created by him. But he also does it because of who he is. And so when you see those two things together, it absolutely changes uh, not your circumstances, but it changes your perspective because you realize if I can just align my life with who he is, there's something in this for me. The idea, the mindset this scripture teaches us that God is for you. He is not against you. And these different mountaintops that we're going to look at and the experiences there are going to help us in walking through this, this idea of mercy. So if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. And we're going to walk through this uh, uh, fairly quickly because I am hungry. I mean, I'm, I'm hungry like right now, Joe. I mean, I'm ready, all right? Uh, so anyway, uh, Matthew chapter 17, look at what it says here, beginning in verse one. It says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves. And from time to time, Jesus spent a lot of time with his 12 disciples, but these three men he spent extra time with, all right? Uh, and there's a, a reason for that because he knew that these men were going to be the ones that were going to lead the movement, that were going to lead the church after he died and rose and ascended to heaven. So Peter, James, and John are with him, and this was a, a huge moment for them. Uh, we're going to talk about what happens in a, in a minute, but I want you to understand this moment had great significance uh, for them. We don't have time to read it today, but Peter later on in life, he recounts this story. In 2 Peter chapter 1, you can go back and read it later, uh, but there's an account where Peter talks about this very moment. And I want you to see uh, what happens here because I think it not only had great significance for them, but it has great significance for us as well. So they're on this mountain. And the Bible says that he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Now, think about what we, what we see here. We're talking about Jesus, right? 
So Jesus, it says that he was transfigured. Some of your translations may use the word uh, that he was transformed, all right? The word that is used here is the same word that we find when the Bible talks about when we begin a relationship with Christ, uh, that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. It doesn't mean necessarily for us that we look different, but yet we look different, right? Our countenance is different. When you begin a relationship with Jesus, there's something inside of you that begins to happen that your life is transformed from the inside out. So the idea here in this is that Jesus uh, was transformed before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes that they became white as light. And the idea here is not like a, a, the idea of a light show or a fireworks show, but the, the mindset behind this is that they saw what we just sang about a moment ago, uh, that they, uh, they, they saw the glory of God. They saw Jesus transformed from this man that they followed this good teacher, this miracle worker, this uh, one that talked about uh, grace and mercy and forgiveness, this one uh, that uh, carried himself not as a king but as a servant. But now they're seeing him in all of his glory. They're seeing him as ruler. They're seeing him uh, in a way that they have never seen him before. And there is a specific reason, we'll get to it in just a moment, and why this took place. Look at what it says in verse 3. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, and they were talking with him. Now, I, I, I don't know how they knew that it was Moses and Elijah that were there. I don't know if they have it on name tags or if they recognized them from their Instagram account. I mean, I don't know how they recognized them, uh, but somehow they knew this was Moses and Elijah. And there's great significance about this being Moses and Elijah. Now, think about this. Moses represented uh, to, to, uh, uh, to those that were followers of, uh, um, uh, of the Jewish way uh, that they, they represented the law, right? Okay, so Moses represented the law uh, and Elijah uh, was the prophet of all prophets. Now he was uh, the prophet uh, that so walked with God uh, that the Bible says that uh, he was on the earth and he walked, he didn't die, that he was just no more. He went right into the presence of God. And so when we think about Moses and Elijah, we think about the law and the prophets. Now why is that significant? It's significant because when the people of this day, when they quoted scripture, you know, we talk about what the Bible says. Well, they didn't say that. And you, and you see this often in scripture. They refer to it, well, the law and the prophets teach us. And so Moses and Elijah represented everything they knew about the word of God. And so here is Jesus who now they're seeing him in all of his glory and he's with Moses and Elijah and I believe that the point of that is for them to understand that Jesus is the embodiment of everything you've heard about God. Here's who God is. You've read about it all of your life but now here he is in the flesh. Here he is right before you and not just as the person you've seen walking on the earth but here he is as the person that is before you as an authority that he is God. So you have this picture here. And so Peter is always, he is the one. He speaks up in verse four. Look at what he says. He says to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here if you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He's like, man, this is awesome. Let's just hang out here, right? 
Let, 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 let's, just, let's just stay right here. And if you've ever, if you've been a follower of Christ for long, you probably had one of those mountaintop experiences, whether it was at a camp or some type of service or an event, and it was just this incredible spiritual moment, and you just want to hang out there because it's so amazing. And that's, in essence, what Peter says here. But part of it was Peter was enjoying the moment. Uh, the, the Gospel of Luke in its account, uh, it says that Peter was talking because he didn't know what else to say, right? He's one of those guys that he didn't really know what he was saying or didn't know what to say, so he just keeps talking, right? So uh, in essence, that's what Luke says. That's what Peter was doing in this moment. Uh, but in essence, what we find here is that Peter says this is an amazing moment. Let's just hang out here. So in the next four verses, I believe it gives us the purpose of why Jesus brought them up here. Because that's a cool experience, what I just shared with you, right? Can you imagine being there uh, and seeing Jesus transform, seeing Moses and Elijah, uh, just the, uh, the worship experience that that was? Uh, there's no question it was amazing, but God doesn't do anything without a purpose, right? The purpose wasn't just for that experience. Any great experience you've had in life uh, that uh, was a great moment with God wasn't just about that experience. It was what God was preparing you for through that. So the next four verses give us what I would describe as the purpose of this transfiguration. What, what is the reason uh, that God allows this to happen? Well, the first one is this, uh, is that we he wants us to see that Jesus is God. In an essence, that he is authority, that he is the boss, that he is in charge. Look at what it says in verse 5. It says, he was still speaking when behold, and so in essence, God just interrupts Peter, right? Okay, Peter, that's enough of you, right? Uh, so he says, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said this. Listen to this. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. This is my son. Jesus is God. In an essence, what he was establishing here is that he is the authority. He is the boss. He is in charge. And I will tell you this, any time that my life has got derailed and has gotten jacked up, it's because I did not understand this foundational point. For everything in life, uh, for everything that you do, nothing will ever amount to anything that matters until you understand this, that Jesus is God. And whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, whether you want to accept it or not, he is the authority. He's in charge. I don't think there's been anything that's taught me more about this concept than being a parent. As I said earlier, we, we've raised six kids. Long story behind that. I don't have time to go into that because, once again, I'm hungry, all right? Uh, so, uh, but my oldest daughter, her name is Taylor. Uh, Taylor is the sweetest. Uh, she was the, the best baby. Uh, all, uh, she slept through the night very early on. She never cried. Uh, she never complained. Uh, she was always listening to us. I mean, she was amazing, all right? Uh, our, our last child, our youngest one, Harper, who is six, um, some of you may have encountered her in the children's area. I apologize. 
apologize uh, if you did, uh, but uh, for anything she might have said or done. Uh, but uh, it's, uh, if she would have been the first child, she would have been the last one, all right? All y'all got one of those. Don't, don't, don't say who it is. I'm dumb enough to say it, all right? I love her. She's going to change the world, but she's something, all right? But Taylor was just so easy, right? That's why you have six, because of the first one. It's so easy. But there was one thing that would jack up Taylor uh, in terms of her uh, personality uh, and in terms of the way that she acted, uh, and that was any time she encountered McDonald's french fries. I mean, that, that just did something to her uh, that transformed her and then not in a good way. And so I remember one day, she's about three or four, her and I went to the drive-thru, and I don't really like McDonald's, but I mean, McDonald's fries, I mean, I think there's crack in them or something. Uh, they're just absolutely, uh, there's something to them so I could smell I got her a large, you know, mom wasn't there, so what mom don't know, doesn't hurt anything, right? So I got her a large fry, three years old, not a good parent, I understand that. Anyway, so I got her one of those. And so I, I reached back and I said, can I have one of those? And this sweet little, just amazing child, this demon voice comes out of her, no, and like she holds on to the fries really really tight and it makes me it made me so mad when she did that because I'm thinking number one I'm bigger than you are I'll just take them fries if I want them right snatch them out of your hand you won't get any more fries uh, the second thing that bothered me was I'm thinking I paid for those fries that was my money right how are you going to tell me no uh, when it was mine to begin with and the third thing is, is that if she would just like be compliant uh, and learn to play the game a little bit, uh, give dad what he asked for, I could rain down fries on her. I could give her so many fries she wouldn't know what to do with. What is that? That's a very crude picture of authority, right? Right? Because think about that. Oftentimes we're trying to, uh, to run our lives and we're trying to hold on to our stuff and we're thinking that somehow that we did something. But the reality is there's nothing that you have. There's nothing that you've done that was not a gift from a good God who gave it to you. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. You know what that next phrase says? Blessed be the name of the Lord because he is Lord, because he is the boss, because he is the authority. And the reality is, is that for all of us in this room, no matter where you are in your relationship with Jesus, unless you get that point right, unless you get that not only drilled into your head and to your mind, but you begin to conduct your life in a way where you recognize that he is the boss, you are going to continue to live a life that is frustrated, that is empty. And look at this, if you're not willing to change that, it will lead to your destruction. He's God. And he wanted them to see that he's in charge. The second thing that we see in this passage is not only is Jesus is God, and this is great. Now, this is really profound, uh, but I'm from Alabama, so I'm simple. So y'all hang with me, all right? Uh, is that Jesus is God. Uh, and the second point is, is that you are not God. Now, we shouldn't have to say that. But we have to say that, right? You are not God. There needs to be an element of humility in you. When, when I um, first became a pastor, I had uh, lived in Tampa, and I was a children's pastor for seven years. 
And then um, the pastor left and went to another church. And for some reason, I guess they couldn't find anybody else. They decided to hire me as the pastor. Probably one of the worst mistakes they ever made. Uh, but anyway, uh, they're, they're still regretting it now. But anyway, uh, eight years I was the pastor. They loved me. Uh, and uh, it, was, it was just a phenomenal, phenomenal experience uh, of what God did. But there was this one couple that when I was the children's pastor, man, they loved me. They supported me. They were always uh, volunteering. And cur- I mean, they, they were my biggest cheerleaders. But when I became the pastor, things just began to slowly change. And uh, I, I noticed they weren't as uh, supportive of me. And uh, it got to all the way to the point that uh, one Sunday in their Sunday school class during prayer time, uh, they were basically bashing me. I'm thinking, okay, something's not good here. Uh, we we got we to figure this out. And so I made an appointment to go sit down with them because I didn't understand what, what had happened. And so I, I sat down with them and I began to talk with them and uh, they shared about how there was a family member of the wife that had passed away uh, and nobody from the church had contacted them. And as we talked about it, I realized it was our fault. I mean, like, we, we, we made a mistake uh, and uh, so I apologized. But uh, as we're having that conversation, I just felt like there's something more here. You know, that, that, that's not all that it is. And so I, I just asked, I mean, I said, is that really, is that all there is? Is there something else going on? I, I just feel like there's something bigger than that that's happening. Is I just want to make sure that we can we'll deal with it. And she, so she looks at me and she says, I mean, in a very angry tone, she said, you want to know what I'm mad about? And I said yes, but I was thinking, I, I'm a little scared now. I'm not real sure I do want to know, uh, but I said yes anyway. Uh, and so she says, let me tell you what I'm mad about. She says, I grew up in church. And she says, when I was a kid, she said, it was all about the senior adults and whatever we can do to honor them and we have to serve them and we have to do everything is all about them. And she says, now I'm a senior adult and now everything's about the kids and about the next generation and about what are we going to do for them and how are we going to serve them and we got to sacrifice for the good of them. And she says, what I want to know is when is it going to be about me? And I'm sitting there thinking, did she just say that out loud? I mean, really, did she just say that? I mean, because I, I think that there's lots of times uh, that we think that, but I couldn't believe that she actually verbalized that she wanted it to be all about her. In that attitude, although most of us probably have way too much pride, we wouldn't say that out loud, but inside of us, we conduct our lives as if it is about us. And the reality that you are not God, it seems so well, like, duh, of course I, I know I'm not God, but do you live that way? The idea of who God is in your life, uh, is, in essence, is about you understanding who you live for. Who do you live for? It's about who you desire to please in your life. It's about who is ordering the steps of your life. And in all of those cases, what we find, if we're not careful, is that we, uh, we recognize in our minds that Jesus is God and we will stand in worship and we'll lift up our hands and we will sing uh, to the fact that, uh, God, show me your glory, that you are Lord. But then if we're not careful, we live the rest of our lives and the rest of our week as if we're God. And what Jesus was really wanting them to see as he brings them to this mountain is that you're not. And they got that picture. Look at what it says here that they did in verse 6. It says, when the disciples heard this, it says they fell on their faces and they were terrified. They fell on their face. You ever been flat out on your face? 
I told the first service, I thought about doing it right here on the floor, like just going flat out on my face. I was afraid I wouldn't be able to get back up, so I didn't do it, all right? Uh, but I want you to think about that for a moment. Think about, th there, there's no ego when you're flat out like that, right? Th there's no pride left when you're down on your face. And here's the reasons why we get there. Maybe you've been there because of exhaustion, right? You know, you hadn't worked out in a long time and you decided you're going to be, you know, a, a real, a look really good uh, for the beach this summer. Uh, and so you go work out and work out really hard and, and you just go so much, you just can't go anymore, so you just fall out, right? Exhaustion. You're just exhausted. For some of you, it may be desperation. Maybe, you, maybe things in your life just aren't right uh, and uh, you have just gotten on your face before God and whether it's for you or maybe for a loved one, maybe some of you praying for one of your kids, that you're just desperate. You don't know what else to do, but you recognize that, God, I am on my face before you, not because I, I think that I know this is the answer, but I don't know what else to do. God, I'm desperate. And sometimes it's like, these men here that they're on their face before God just out of fear because they recognize that they are in the presence of greatness. They are in the presence of a holy God. They are in the presence of something that's so much greater than anything that they ever could even think about accomplishing. And in that moment is when we have a pivotal decision to make. Because when you're down there, and, and let me tell you something, I've been there. And the reality is, is that's the right place to be. And for all of us, at some way or another, God's going to get us there. We can either get there by our own choice, or we can get there the hard way. But either place, either way, we're going to get there. And when we find ourselves in that position, what begins to happen is, is we recognize how great God is, how sinful we are, how little control we actually have, and we have a great need in our life. We need the mercy of God. We need God to do for us, but we cannot do for ourselves. And in that moment, we have a pivotal decision to make. And the right decision is to do what we find in the next two verses. And here's the last point, and we're going to come back to that. Is that when you're in that place, you should be scared, but don't be. <laughs> you should be scared, but don't be, right? There's a confidence that comes when you look at this next section of Scripture. Look at what it says in verse 7. But Jesus came and he touched them. Remember, they're laying flat out. They are scared to death because they recognize that they are in the presence of God. And he touched them and he says, rise and have no what? Fear. Rise and have no fear. In other words, get up. The problem is that for many of us in this room, and I want you to understand that I've been there uh, at a specific period of time in my life when you're down because you recognize uh, that maybe it's a circumstance that has caused you to be down, but for many of us, it's because of our own actions and decisions. We think, I don't deserve the mercy of God. I don't deserve the goodness of God. I don't deserve anything that he has for me. And so what happens is, is that although we know in our minds what the Bible says, we just don't have it in us us to get up and we just stay down we just give up 
You, you ever given up? I, 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 there was a period of time in my life when I went through a, a series of things as a pastor now uh, that, uh, uh, where I was disappointed, uh, where I, I was uh, uh, basically uh, in some situations where things were uh, um, uh, said uh, that uh, uh, basically where people were questioning like an agenda. Uh, and you, you know how church can be. Thank God I haven't experienced any of that here. Uh, but uh, uh, there, there are times that church is hard and there were just things that were coming at me and I just got further and further and further down. And then what happened as a result of being down, instead of doing what Jesus says, hey, get up, don't have any fear, I decided to stay down, I gave up. Now, I didn't give up on the outside, nobody knew it, because I still had a reputation to uphold, right? I still wanted everybody else to think that I was in a good place and that life was good and that I was very spiritual, but on the inside, I had given up. And let me tell you something. If that's where you are today, that you're more concerned about your reputation than you are about your relationship with God, if you're more concerned about what other people think about you than you are about uh, going to a coming to a place of intimacy with Him, if that's where you are today, let me tell you something, that road only leads to destruction. It's empty. It's frustrating. It can be actually very scary at times, and it will never end well. You see, being before on your face before God is a good place. But giving up when you're down there is a horrible, horrible decision. And Jesus says, get up, but do it in a way where you do not fear me. What is that? That is the picture of mercy. The reason that we don't have to fear is because of the goodness of a holy God that provides for us what we cannot provide for ourselves. So for all of us in this room, we need to come to a place where we respond to this passage. So what does that look like? Real quickly as we wrap up today, I want to go back to verse 5. Look at what it says here in verse 5. Says he was still speaking. Don't, don't miss this. This is your response today. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said this, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. This is God. This is Jesus. And then look at these last three words. I want you to say them out loud with me today because this is our response. Look at what, read them with me, all right? Listen to him. That was horrible. You're going to do it one more time, all right? Listen to him. That's our response. In essence, I would say it this way. Two, two things I would say. Number one, do what he says. Just do what, there's the mercy of God is found in our obedience to just doing what he asks us to do. So when he says, get up, for those of you that are down there and feeling like there's nothing that you have to give, there's nothing that you have to offer, but what God says to you is get up, but get up without having any fear. Uh, and then as you're doing that, then whatever God says for you to do, whatever you need to walk away from, walk away. Whatever needs to change in your life, whether it's something you need to get rid of or something you need to add, something that he's calling you to, whatever it is, just do what he says. It sounds so simple, but it is a powerful, powerful place for you to come in your life. 
Don't worry about all the things that you don't understand. Just begin to live in the mercy and grace of God by doing what he asks you to do. And then number two, and I believe this is inferred through all of this, is just trust where Jesus is leading. Just trust him. I mean, God's for you. If you don't hear anything else I say today, hear this. God is for you. He loves you. He's not given up on you. And no matter what's happened to you, and no matter what you've done, you are at a place today where He wants to begin to use everything you've walked through in your life for His honor and His glory. And please don't ask me to explain that. But I can stand right here today after the service is over and I can tell you story after story after story after story of how I've seen it happen in my own life. Not because I deserve it, because I don't. But because that's how good He is. Stop trusting in yourself. Stop trusting in what you see in other people's lives. And trust Him. Where He leads you is good because where he leads you is to a place where his mercy just continues to grow day after day after day. Do what he says. Trust where he leads. And watch God do in your life what only he can do. Let's pray together. heads bowed and your eyes closed. I want you to answer this question. What has God said to you today? What is he saying to you? And then in response to whatever just came to your heart and mind right then, next question is, what are you going to do about it? Whatever he spoke to you this morning, what are you going to do about it? That's what this time is for. And whether that's just at your seat as we worship together for you just to, uh, to resolve in your heart about what's different in your life as a result of your encounter with his word today, then you do that. For some of you, there may be something that needs to be a little bit more public. Maybe you want to pray with someone today. Maybe man, there's just something that's heavy on your heart. Maybe you feel down and you don't know how to get back up. That's why the church is so powerful. It's because we're supposed to help each other get up. Maybe you just want to pray with someone. They love the privilege during this worship time to do that. Some of us will be down here at the front, and the reason we're standing here is not to look at you, but just simply to be here available for you. If we can pray for you, we want to. Maybe some of you today need to, for the very first time in your life, just surrender your life to Jesus. Say, God, I'm, try I'm tired of trying to be my own boss. God, I believe what you've done for me, and God, I want to trust you today. We would love the privilege to pray with you and talk with you.
So as we worship together, let's allow this to be a time where we let God speak to us, where we respond as He calls us. I'm going to ask if you would just very quietly as I pray for you, would you just stand to your feet right where you are? And I'm going to pray for us. We'll be here and we're going to sing together. God, we love you. For any person in this room that God needs to do something in a way, that God, they need to make a specific response. I pray that you will give them that boldness right now. God, for all of us in this room, may this worship be a time where we recognize your glory. Lord, this is your time. Use it for your glory.